Welcome to the Connecticut Criminal Law Podcast, brought to you by Ruane Attorneys. The answers you need, the privacy you deserve. Each season tackles a different area of criminal law. Now, to your host, Jay Ruane. Hello, this is Jay Ruane. This season on the podcast, we will tackle a topic that is a lot more complicated than standard criminal defense, and that is juvenile criminal defense. We are lucky in our office to have my wife, Attorney Jill Ruane, who concentrates her practice on juvenile criminal defense. In this season, she will take you through all of the aspects of juvenile law you might need to know. Here she is. Hello, I'm Attorney Jill Ruane. For over a decade, I focused my legal career on juvenile defense. Young teens and children need a special voice when dealing with the criminal justice system, a voice that understands the unique challenges of juvenile brain development and how it impacts impulsive behavior, one that understands the various ways to settle a case beyond the traditional adult court model. I am that voice and lawyer. I've dedicated my practice to helping children in need. This season, we will focus on Connecticut's juvenile justice system, how it differs from the adult system, and typical situations where youth need a lawyer's assistance. Let's start with some simple facts. Juvenile court is where the state prosecutes minors, children aged 7 to 17. Sometimes juvenile cases are heard in adult court when the child is 15, 16, or 17 and charged with a serious felony. Juvenile court cases are not open to the public and are confidential. In juvenile court, you are not entitled to a jury trial. Rather, a judge hears the case. There is no requirement for bail in juvenile court, which means your child could be detained in a juvenile detention center while the case is pending. If there is a victim in the case, that victim is entitled to know what is happening with the case and can give a victim statement. Juvenile results can impact your child's education. An accused juvenile is entitled to their own attorney. If a parent is the victim, the court may appoint a non-family member as a guardian for the child for court purposes only. A juvenile is charged with the same criminal offense as an adult. However, the potential penalties are different. The sooner you get a lawyer involved in your child's juvenile defense case, the sooner the lawyer can contact the state's attorney who will be prosecuting your child. Juvenile courthouse proceedings are confidential, meaning the general public cannot attend these court hearings. All juvenile court records are sealed and require a court order for access. For instance, unlike in an adult courthouse, you can't just walk into a juvenile courtroom. Rather, the court limits who can attend a juvenile hearing. Typically, these hearings include the judge, courtroom staff, the defense attorney, the state's attorney, a probation officer, the juvenile defendant, and the juvenile's parent or guardian. The court can limit and will limit who attends these proceedings. For example, if a juvenile comes to court with a sibling, the court can make that sibling wait outside the courtroom. Of course, the court will take into consideration the sibling's age in making this determination. In this respect, you can see how seriously the juvenile's confidentiality is taken. Juvenile court hears three types of cases. One, delinquency. Two, family with service needs, also known as FWISN. And three, child protection cases. Delinquency cases are when the minor child is arrested and charged with allegedly committing a crime. 
These are the cases in which I typically represent a juvenile. Let's take a moment to identify some of the players in a juvenile delinquency proceeding. There is the state's attorney or prosecutor, who is the lawyer that represents the state of Connecticut and is formally bringing charges against the minor child. It is the state's attorney's job to prosecute or litigate the delinquency petition against the juvenile defendant. Next, there is the juvenile probation officer. A probation officer is assigned to every juvenile delinquency case. The probation officer's job is to supervise and monitor the child's behavior, offer support to the child in the form of community-based solutions, as well as report the child's behavior to the judge. It is important to realize that what the child and parent tell the probation officer is not confidential and can be reported to the judge. The judge presides over juvenile cases and sometimes assists in resolving those cases. The judge determines if the child should be monitored with court orders and in some cases can order a child defendant to be detained in juvenile detention while his or her case is pending. The judge also presides over a juvenile trial because a juvenile is not afforded the right to a jury trial. Finally, the juvenile defendant enjoys the right to be represented by an attorney. If the juvenile's parent or guardian cannot afford to hire a private attorney, the court will appoint the public defender, who is an attorney, to represent the juvenile. The juvenile defense attorney's job is to defend the juvenile client from prosecution and to advocate for what the juvenile wants. In Connecticut, juvenile courts courts will balance the juvenile's need for supervision, mental health treatment, and counseling with the need to provide for the general public safety. If your child is arrested, they are prosecuted in the delinquency portion of juvenile court. Delinquency cases do not result in criminal convictions. Rather, they can result in a delinquency adjudication. Unlike an adult criminal conviction, which is a public record and can be found in a criminal background check, A juvenile delinquency adjudication is confidential and sealed from the public. Juvenile cases can be resolved in many different ways, and some examples include completing counseling, performing community service hours, informal or formal juvenile probation monitoring, or with completion of a court-ordered program. It is important to remember that in juvenile court, every case is unique and will be resolved to the specific needs of that case. The court does not take a one-size-fits-all approach. Now, in juvenile criminal cases, there are three different paths that a case can take. First, the case can be referred, usually by the police, to a juvenile review board. Not every town has a juvenile review board, but if your town has one, it is a municipal board made up of members from the community. Its members can include youth service professionals, police officers, teachers, therapists, clergy, or elected officials. These boards are not all the same, but are unique to the town. If the board hears your child's case, it will, be recommend, it will recommend a course of action to resolve the case, and if your child agrees to that course of action and successfully completes any requirements, your child's case will be dismissed without ever going to court. If your child's case is referred to the Juvenile Review Board, it is wise to take advantage of this opportunity. Second, If the case is diverted out of court and to the Office of Probation, this is called non-judicial handling. In order for a case to be non-judicial, the juvenile must be charged with a minor offense, like shoplifting, have not used non-judicial more than twice prior, have not previously been adjudicated a delinquent, or a child from a family with service needs, and 
cannot presently be on juvenile probation or under court supervision. When a case gets diverted to probation for non-judicial handling, the juvenile and the parent or guardian will meet with a juvenile probation officer to discuss the case and a possible resolution. If the juvenile admits to the conduct described in the police report and is willing to sign a statement of responsibility, the case can remain in probation and not be sent to court. Typically, the probation officer will assess the child and recommend a period of informal supervision, which cannot go beyond 180 days. If the juvenile successfully completes this informal supervision, the case gets dismissed by the court order and the case is over. There are some instances where a case should not proceed down this path, but in order to determine this, you would need to have an experienced juvenile defense attorney's advice and counsel. And finally, a delinquency case, which does not qualify to be handled non-judicially by probation, will proceed to court. In these cases, it is wise to hire an attorney for your child to navigate the court process and defend your child against the charges. When a case is down for the first time in delinquency court, the judge has an obligation to advise your child of his or her rights. So that means during the first court hearing, the judge will formally advise the juvenile in court of his or her right to remain silent, to be represented by an attorney, and to take his or her case to trial. Then the judge will ask the defense attorney or the juvenile directly, if not represented by an attorney, if they want to enter denials to the charges. Next, the judge can issue court orders. These can include requiring the child to attend school every day, a curfew, house arrest, electronic monitoring, or to have no contact with a named party in the police report. Then the judge will continue the case in order for the state's attorney and the juvenile defense attorney to engage in a discussion on how to resolve the case. The length of time of a juvenile case can vary and depends on many factors. A case can resolve quickly or can take several months to resolve. Some serious cases can take a year or longer to resolve, but typically a juvenile case can resolve in six months or less. Sometimes a juvenile can pick up a new case while his or her original case is pending, or the juvenile could have problems with substance abuse or mental health treatment, or at school. All of these instances could further complicate a juvenile case and cause the process to take longer. It is important to note that during this process, the state's attorney can make a motion to the court asking for the judge to, to detain the juvenile in juvenile detention. If this occurs, the juvenile must have an attorney to defend them against this incarceration. <clears throat> if the juvenile does not get detained, the court must have a detention hearing every week until the juvenile gets released or the juvenile's case is resolved. In recent years, there is a push to change the juvenile justice model from punitive to rehabilitative, which means usually the court will order a juvenile detained as a last resort. However, there are many instances where in a juvenile's first time in juvenile court, they are ordered detained. I've been practicing in juvenile court since I was in law school, and I've seen firsthand how slowly juvenile justice reform is which is why it is so important to have an experienced juvenile defense attorney on your child's side. If the state's attorney and juvenile defense attorney cannot come to an agreement to resolve the case, the judge may request a meeting with both parties, but this, this does not always occur. If that meeting does not result in a favorable outcome, the juvenile is left with two options. Either take the state's offer to resolve the case or go to trial. Juvenile trials are similar to adult trials, where the state has to present evidence to prove every charge beyond a reasonable doubt. However, as you will recall, 
the juvenile is not entitled to a trial by a jury. So the judge hears all the evidence and determines if the juvenile is delinquent or not delinquent. If the judge decides that the juvenile is not delinquent, then the case is over. If the judge decides that the juvenile is delinquent, then the judge also determines an appropriate punishment. In juvenile court, the judge must take into consideration the seriousness of the offense, the child's background at home, at school, the child's mental health, substance abuse issues, abuse issues, and whatever else the court thinks is relevant in determining an appropriate sentence. A family with service needs or FWISN case is a status offense case, which typically occurs when a juvenile is accused of running away, being truant, or being beyond the parent's control. A FWISN can also be filed if it is alleged that a juvenile aged 13 or older has engaged in consensual sexual intercourse with another aged 13 or with another who is not more than two years older or two years less than the juvenile. When a FWISN allegation is made, a juvenile probation officer will be assigned to these matters and determine if the child and family would benefit from community-based interventions. The goal of a FWISN is to assist the family and juvenile so they won't have any further court involvement. The probation officer can make various referrals to assist the family, issue a warning, require the completion of community service, or close out the complaint without further action. In some cases, the probation officer can file a formal petition to have a court hearing on the matter. If this occurs, the juvenile is entitled to have attorney representation. If FWISN if a FWISN hearing occurs, it is important to note that because this is merely a status offense, the burden of proof is much lower than in a juvenile delinquency trial. In other words, what the state's attorney has to demonstrate is that it is more likely than not that the juvenile has committed the alleged status offense, whether it was being truant or beyond the parent's control. Also, recall from earlier that if a child is adjudicated or found to be a child from a family with service needs, then that child will become ineligible for non-judicial handling should the child later be arrested for a minor crime. Recall that non-judicial handling is when a juvenile probation officer handles the file as opposed to sending it to formal, formally be handled in a court proceeding. This is again another reason why it is so important to have an experienced juvenile defense attorney on your child's side. The final type of case heard in juvenile court are child protection cases. Child protection matters involve situations where the Department of Children and Families or DCF, files court documents alleging abuse, neglect, or imminent harm of a minor child. These are not cases where the minor child is accused of having done anything wrong. Instead, the focus of child protection cases is on implementing corrective steps to protect the child from continued and future harm. These cases usually arise when DCF receives information, sometimes from a mandated reporter, that the minor child is being harmed, abused, or neglected. DCF, on behalf of the state, acts to investigate and, if necessary, remove the child from the harmful environment. These cases are often complex and can require the assistance of school, healthcare, and mental health professionals to address the situation. Typical results for child protection matters can range from intense family counseling and active DCF monitoring to outright termination of parental rights and removal of the minor child. That is going to wrap it up for today. I hope you enjoyed learning a little about juvenile court, the various types of cases heard, and how those cases proceed through the system. Join me next time for episode two, while I will discuss teens and driving laws in Connecticut. If I can help, please contact me at ruaneattorneys.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.
Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Criminal Law Podcast. For more information or to get a free consultation for your criminal law questions, visit us at RuaneAttorneys.com or call or text 203-925-9200.